Amen. Please be seated. While you're sitting down, please take out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. My name's Colby. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and we're glad that you have joined us today. And um, I, I really appreciate y'all focusing on social distancing here in the front. You know, I feel like I'm going to have to start paying some of y'all to sit closer to me. If you're joining us by live stream, I'm glad that you uh, have taken the time to join us. And uh, we're looking forward to opening God's word as we uh, consider this instruction in Ephesians chapter 6. For fathers, today, it says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. The promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we come to it with a sense of humility. Lord, we ask that your spirit would take from these words what we need for our own growth and Lord, our ability to worship and rejoice in the gift that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would correct and instruct. And Lord, that you would draw us around your table to remember the kindness of our familial identity as your children. That you have welcomed us around your table. And so Lord, we seek to draw near to you now. Would you draw us into your presence in your presence, would you speak to us and encourage us and strengthen us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Mark Twain once said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in just seven years. Fatherhood's a little bit like that. It gained some value with age. You know, I realize in the 10 years I've been a pillar that I've never directly preached on fatherhood during a service. And maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, I'm not a father. Well, it's likely that if you're not a father, you have one. And I hope today will be instructive to you about what it looks like to honor the gift of fatherhood. Um, but also, uh, if you're a parent, a mother, uh, the things that we have to say and learn from this passage are instructive to us as well. But I think there's a real importance today uh, for us to recognize God's purposeful design in giving us fathers. I'm thankful today for my own father. There's two things I often share about him. And I've probably mentioned this before on Father's Day here. Uh, I'm grateful to have had a father who loved us, who taught us God's word. There's two things that stick out that are sort of emblematic of who he was. Uh, one of them was for 10 years or so, he fished with a pair of fishing boots that had holes in them. And that meant every time he went fishing, his boots filled up to the holes and he would come home and he would dump them out on the back porch. And it was always a mystery to me why he didn't just forget the boots altogether. But he would wear those boots because during that whole time, he had teenagers in the home and four kids and he was providing for all of us and he didn't concern himself with spending money to update his own boots. And uh, it was just a picture of his giving spirit. It reminds me a little bit of the quip from, from Steve Martin who said, a father is a person who carries pictures where his money used to be. 
And all our fathers said, there you go. So that's the first thing I remember, but the second thing is, is that so many mornings, seeing through the crack of his bedroom door, him kneeling beside his bed with his Bible open, praying for the day, praying for his family, and making the time to center his heart on the Lord. I knew growing up that my dad really only one, wanted one thing out of my life, that I would honor the Lord. He didn't have other expectations, didn't have, didn't force other agendas or ideas. He desired that we would honor the Lord, and, and I'm so grateful for that focus. You know, being a father can be challenging, and often it's not something that's really revered in our culture. And uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which fatherhood is, is sometimes marred with the sort of lack of execution that dads have exercised. And, the, and fatherhood can be a complicated topic in many of our lives. And we come to a message like this on fatherhood, sometimes with complicated backgrounds or hearing it through our own experience. But I really want to invite you today to consider, first of all, the picture and image and vision of fatherhood that the Bible gives to us here. And to be reminded, dads, particularly, that God does not leave us without direction. The English poet John Wilmot, he said, before I got married, I had six theories about raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. It's part of the reality that, you know, parenting looks like one of those things we might be able to figure out going in. But as we're in the middle of it, it, it just reminds us of how much we need the Lord. Well, the Lord hasn't left us without instruction and without us reminders. And this passage is one of the main places where we are instructed about the relationships that take place in our household. And there's kind of a big over idea, I think, that we're going to see as we look at this passage. And it's this. Fatherly love devotes itself to the honor of nurturing children. If the Bible has any way of describing fatherhood, it's that fatherly love devotes itself to the honor of nurturing children. And we're going to see that kind of unpacked from this passage. The first way we see this idea is that we see that the work of a father is to be received with honor. Many of these things could be applied to mothers with it being Father's Day. I want to just clue us in a little bit on that. But the work of a father is to be received with honor. I thought I would try to help our fathers out today a little bit as I am in the, the fight myself by reminding their kids that their fathers hold a position that is deserving of honor. It deserves high regard. Our cultural images of fatherhood can so sometimes strip fatherhood of its honor, as I mentioned, and in many ways be boiled down to something that looks just about like Homer Simpson. You know, a, a lack of engagement, a bit of foolishness, held up by mothers, which God bless mothers. We're thankful for the role they play in the lives of our families and in our lives. But God has a high calling and has bestowed upon fathers an honorable position. And the work of a father is we're told here to be received with honor. The first three verses show us this. You know, against the grain of some of these cultural images lies the reminder from the, the words of William Wordsworth when he said, Father, the title Father, to God himself we cannot give a holier name. The highest, the highest address that Jesus teaches us to address God himself with is to say to him, Our Father. 
who is in heaven. That reminds us that this responsibility of earthly parenting and earthly fatherhood is one that is to be received with honor. Here in this text, as it speaks, it speaks with a focus in the beginning to children. And it reminds us that the work and activity and position of fatherhood is one that God has given honor to. And we see this in a couple of ways in the text. Let's just look closely at the text together to see this. The first way we see it is the instruction to obey. The instruction to obey points to the honor of fatherhood. Notice in the verse, verse children, sort of, it's sort of a emphatic, like getting attention. It's like, children, you listening? In the house, we got some children today. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That phrase, this is right, means it's fitting. It's fitting of their honored role in your life that you would receive their instruction with a sense of obedience. Some of the parents are tapping their kids to get attention right now. Draw them in. Listen to what the pastor is saying. Don't forget these words. Maybe you've never thought about this word obedience much. We know it just means do what you're told, right kids? Your parents, you know, my parents ask, or my kids ask me all the time, what do you want for Father's Day? And every year I tell them the same thing. I want your love and your obedience. Dad, I'm going shopping. What do you want? I really just want your love and obedience. Ugh. Mom, what are we going to do? You know, that's kind of the idea, right? This word obedience, though, I spent a little time thinking about it in Greek. It has at its core a word picture of opening the door when you hear the knock. It's kind of what's at the root of the Greek words. Opening the door. Here's kind of, you know, listening for the knock on the door as though you're eager to receive the instruction and welcome it into your life. When it's there, uh, you know, in our home, we often have people over and uh, as we get ready, you know, the kids are involved in getting the house ready and, and, and people arriving. And the more excited they are about the person that is coming or the people that are coming, the more honorable they are in their eyes, the more likely it is that they're going to be standing by the door looking out that thin window pane with excitement waiting for someone to get there. And, and they're ready to, to open the door. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of honor that we wouldn't just ignore the doorbell. I mean, I don't know about you, but every now and then the doorbell rings. I'm like, I don't know who that is. And I'm kind of slow. I'm like, maybe they'll go away. You know, you just hang out here. See how, many, see how many times they ring the bell. And maybe somebody's selling something. But when you know that somebody's arriving, you're prepared to open the door. You've prepared the place to receive them, to let them in. This is the picture of obedience. It's the posture of obedience that we are sort of welcoming into our life the instruction of a parent. And that reminds us that they're, they're an honored person being received into our life because God has given them to us for our good. So obedience is a posture of welcoming our parents' instruction as though we are welcoming an honored person into our life. So that's the first way we see it. We see, second, the added phrase, in the Lord, and the way it's used here, points us to the honor of fatherhood. Here the phrase, in the Lord, is really attached to the words, obey. It would be maybe like more specific or strict to translate it this way. Children, obey in the Lord, 
your parents. Now, because of that, you know, it doesn't mean obey your parents who are in the Lord. It's not being in the Lord that makes the role of fatherhood necessarily honorable. That would mean no matter who you are, whether your parents are Christians or they're not Christians, that we are given a gift by God. They play still an honored role. And, and what it means here is it modifies our obedience, not the person. That means that, that the degree in which a parent gives instruction into our life, it's to be honored as long as we can honor them and honor the Lord at the same time. The only time we have the permission to neglect the instruction of a parent is if it's contrary to the instruction of the Lord. But think about what that means on the flip side. There are a whole lot of things about wisdom and instruction and details in life that our parents bring to the table that because of their honored role, we're to obey as in the Lord our parents in those things with the only exception any ways we would be asked to disobey the Lord. That's a hefty thing. It shows the honor of fatherhood. That gives a great deal of honor to the many decisions a parent will make along the way that the child may not love, but does not take them away from the Lord. And it gives weight to the instruction. And so we see, in a sense here, he's showing us that, that parenthood, that fatherhood is an honored position and an honored task. We also see the honor of fatherhood in the way that the fifth commandment is quoted here. The quoting of the fifth commandment points to the honor of fatherhood. The words are specifically here then, after the first verse instructs children to obey, we take a bit of a step back and the instruction is, to, is a reminder from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments, to honor our father and mother. It's not addressed to children specifically who are in the home, but to all of us. You know, God's instruction to the people in the land was that they were to show honor to this position that their father and mother had. So this instruction guards us against the foolishness and short-sighted idea that the role of a parent and the influence of a parent ends when a child leaves the home. The instruction to honor in the fifth commandment leaves the of the child a responsibility for ongoing, even adult, openness to the influence of their parents. And an assignment that as their parents age to care for them as though they are a welcomed gift from God in their life. We have a responsibility to maintain this posture over the entire lifespan. And the word indicates that we should give an elevated sense of value to our parents over against other people. Because it is one of the ways in which God delivers unseen blessing into our life. That means this isn't a temporary, this is what it would say, it's an honorable assignment because it's not a temporary one. Now, I just want to say to you, if you're a parent, maybe you're here and your children are out of the home, there's a change in dynamic that takes place. The instruction is different, we're told actually, in the normal course of events as uh, a husband and a wife leave their father and mother and begin a household as we establish our own households beyond our parents, that we, there's a sense of leaving the authority structure that is there and, and assuming responsibility for our own lives, but we never leave the influence of our parents. 
I want to just encourage you, if you have adult children and you're here today, that you would not neglect the reality of your influence over their life. Maybe you look back and you would say, you know, there was times when they were younger that I could have had a greater level of influence in their life, but I missed it because of what I was doing. Or maybe you weren't walking with the Lord at the time and you wish there were things you could do to go back and invest in those moments. But listen, the, the Lord's arm is not too short to use you yet in the honor role that he has given to you God has given this role as a lifetime role it's an honorable role and as a pastor I've sat with many people over the last 20 years who still would welcome the honorable influence of their parents in their life sometimes long for it so this reminds us of the honor it is to be a father the remembrance, the fourth the remembrance of this promise points to the honor of fatherhood. It's a pretty simple truth, but God blesses those who honor their parents. And I, I just think this is something that's really countercultural, all right? For adult children to consider what it looks like to honor their parents. For them to believe that one of the ways that God delivers blessing is by leaning into a relationship of honor that lasts a lifetime. It's a very simple thing. It doesn't mean that nothing negative is ever going to happen. But the general rule here is that in a culture of honoring those in authority over us, in a culture of honoring those who have had an honored role of parenting us, we go with the grain of God's blessing. God has designed our lives to deliver blessing into our life as we walk in step with his instruction and as we honor those who he's sent to us as a gift. So no matter how complicated your relationship in the past has been with your parents, there's a blessing to be experienced as we seek to worship the Lord and to honor those that we call mom and dad. So it's an honored role and we do well to recognize it before God and receive it as a gift from him. And all of these things in the text taken together give us a sense of the elevated value of the work of being a parent. And particularly for us today, the role and calling of being a dad. If you're here today, I just want you to hear unequivocally, dads, your role in the life of your children matters. It matters now and it will matter until the day you die. For our fathers here today, that means that your role in the life of your children is a divinely given role it matters more than you probably have the ability to realize right now the most common thing I hear when I sit down with fathers is a lack of recognition of how much influence they really have now I'm a dad I've been dismissed a few times by my kids <laughs> they're awesome I love them they're great but I know that ev it's not every day that you feel like they are Opening wide the door for your instruction. But it doesn't mean that we have, a, we have the right to neglect the faithfulness of influence in their life. Leadership, faithfulness looks like knocking on the door. Sometimes just opening the door and coming on in. And, and not neglecting the influence because in our eyes it's been ineffective. It's important that we embrace that. If you're a father with children in the home, you have a highly honored and sacred opportunity that God's blessed you with. Do not squander. Listen, do not squander this role and responsibility in the time it takes on a thousand things that aren't going to matter in 10 or 20 years. One way of saying it is that 
your current boss will not cry at your funeral. Not likely. But your children will. There's something needed for us to take perspective about the place of most honor and influence that God has given us. We see that the work of a father is to be received with honor. And so for all of us, there's something important that we build a community of people that recognizes that. Even if you don't find yourself in that particular role or, or often in relationship with your father as it is now. Or father, being a father yourself. That, that what we do as a community and as a people, as a church, is we encourage those in their roles as fathers to wield it with a sense of excellence and honor that it deserves. The second thing we see in this passage, as we think about the fact that fatherly love here, fatherly love receives the honor of nurturing children, we see a second thing, that the work of a father is to raise children with honor, to live with honor as you execute it. There's instructions here about what it looks like to live out your responsibility as a father in an honorable way. And they're, they're actually quite specific. There's a lot to be learned from this last short verse that we read in verse 4. We're going to focus on that now. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are like four technical words in that short sentence that I think are important for you to grasp so you have insight in what it looks like to be a faithful parent, and particularly what it looks like to be a faithful father. So because the work of fatherhood is an honorable task, we see that there's also an honorable way to serve the task that God gives us. He gives us insight here through the words of the Apostle Paul, and there, there are some really key ideas in the text, but, but none are as important as the main verb that drives this sentence. If you're the type of person who underlines or circles in your Bible, you should circle the phrase, bring them up. If you're reading in the ESV, other translations may say, raise them up. I want to talk about that phrase because it means a lot more than I really you know, felt it meant when I just hear raise them up or bring them up. That's just kind of, it feels just like a common phrase for how we say, be a parent, right? We bring up kids. Well, how do we bring, does that give us any insight into how we're supposed to bring them up? We, we raise them. Does that give us any insight? Well, it doesn't sound like it, in particular to me. Raise them up seems like a pretty bland way of describing the task here. But maybe that's because we need to hear it a little bit with the right word picture attached to it that is really there in the language. The word itself is ektrepho in Greek. And the word itself has a really strong idea of nurturing and providing nourishment. So the instruction for fathers is that contrary to provoking anger, they're to nurture through teaching and training. They're to nurture. So this is the main idea, the main picture that Paul says that a father should have in mind as he's thinking about what's going on in the life of his children. Now, I think there's an assumption here. It's, it's used in a corrective way. There's an assumption. Uh, men loom largest often in the home. They carry a larger physical presence, a stronger presence. They wield a sense of authority often in a way that, that outpaces others in the home. So there's a sense of strength there. 
So the instructions to fathers is to recognize that strength and give their focus to making sure their parenting looks more like nurture. It will likely always have the power of, of, of strength. But the question is, is will your, your children experience it as nurture? That takes effort. It takes focus. Fathers are instructed to lean the greatest portion of focus in their parenting to the provision of things that will cause their children to thrive. Now, the other thing you should know about this word, ektrepho, is that, that it kind of has roots in like an agricultural setting. It has roots in the idea of farming or gardening. And so you could hear the phrase, raise them up, something more like raising crops. So we get a picture in, in this that, that uh, parenting is more like raising a garden than it is chiseling a sculpture. Um, foolishly, when I was a young parent, 16 years ago, I really thought I could shape my kids into like really specific things. Like my decisions were going to determine what they liked, what was available to them. And you really quickly discover that, man, you are way out of control when, when it comes to that kind of stuff. That's evidenced by the fact that none of my children currently play much basketball. You know, and, uh, and, uh, and you discover early on that your children are a God-given set of qualities they all possess this uniqueness of desires that are your responsibility to cultivate out of them rather than vision that you want to chisel into them i think that's why you know so much of the bible teaches us that leadership really falls into this imagery of cultivation have you ever thought about the fact um i was reading an article by wendy alsop this week uh, about the dad difference and she uh, talked about the fact that leadership and authority is always given sort of an agrarian tone from the very beginning in scripture we see that Adam is placed with this responsibility over creation and he's set in the middle of a garden to cultivate it that means wielding our influence looks more like cultivating than it does like sculpting you know, when the Israelites are told to go in the land, David celebrates what it looks like for them to live in relationship with God. He says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Faithfulness is something that we nurture, that we nourish in the seeds of other people's lives, in our lives. It takes, you know, paying attention to multiple factors. And, and really, when you think about what cultivation is, it's about bringing out of the seed what's already present. Which gives us a picture of how we are to attend to the work of being a father. That nurturing is like this cultivation that brings out of our children the things that God has placed in them. And so we are to work in concert with God to nourish their lives with the things needed for them to fulfill that God-given vision. So we do our best parenting when we're enriching the soil tending to the weeds and providing the water necessary for the God-given designs and purposes of our children to be drawn out. You know, I have these blueberry bushes in my backyard. This is the second time in a sermon I've brought them up. And the reason I brought them up before is that I have yet to eat any of the fruit off of the blueberry bushes. That's still true. None of us have really enjoyed them at this point. I planted them early on, right after we moved into our house, back in June of 2012. So this is a nine-year project. A lot of seasons. 
It turns out you don't just throw them in the ground and get successful quarts of blueberries. I thought it was that simple. And uh, discovered really quickly that they probably weren't getting enough water. That they needed some enrichment in the soil. At one point, a, a vine, we got all these vines in the backyard. It's sort of grown through the grass and wrapped itself around the one bush. And it's now kind of diminutive in comparison to one of the other ones. We had to cut that off and tend to the weeds that go around it. And then last year, you know, we had made a bunch of progress. And there were these beautiful blueberries starting to, to come out on the tree. And it turns out that some terrible enemy swooped in and ate them before we could enjoy them. And so this year, at Annie's request, because she's a little wiser and paying more attention, insightfully she decided that what was needed was for these blueberries to be protected a little bit to thrive. And so we put a net over them, and last week one of those attacking enemies got caught up in the net. It was a blue jay, fiercely trying to steal the blueberries that we hope to eat later on, probably this month. They're starting to look great. But I came home from a trip and the, the kids had a picture of this blue jay that had gotten wrapped up in our net. And they had found a way to let that blue jay out and it survived, and at least as far as we know. Uh, and I can say, right now, we still have a chance. These blueberries are looking really good. We'll probably get like a half a cup, you know. So we're going to have to divvy them up as a family to, as a pe to a piece, but we plan on eating some of them. Eight seasons of cultivation, learning what was needed, what protection was there. You know, this is the picture more likely of parenting than the one where we just sort of say what we want to happen, give our instructions, post them on the wall, and it happens. It takes cultivation. And, for, and as fathers, we're to bring that sense of nurture and care to the table in our parenting. In light of this picture of nurture, in the place of raise them up, Raising and nurturing plants. I think we can make a bit more sense out of this initial warning in the passage. The warning is specifically, fathers, do not provoke to anger your children. Now, if you're reading it there, it says, do not provoke your children to anger. But that word provoke to anger is all one word. So it comes across in, in the language really strong. Do not stir up to anger. That's the idea. It's kind of interesting, this warning, isn't it? Honorably fulfilling the role of a father requires an ongoing attentiveness to how our children are receiving our parenting. Listen, this is good for you. No matter what sort of leadership situation you face, you may be used to thinking that authority will give you the sort of influence you need. But honestly, attending to how people receive your leadership is every bit as important because nurture is the way that we wield authority. We wield authority by laying down our simplicity and rights so that we can understand the people we are leading and make sure they're able to receive the way that we're giving instruction and care. So this picture here is, is actually pretty revolutionary in the ancient world and, and because for the father to concern themselves with the actual needs and differences of the children uh, was, was not normal. Children had little to no rights and were not valued highly across society. Fathers had few limits actually in the ancient world on how they could treat their children. They essentially owned them. 
And this instruction comes into the household in fatherhood and the apostle Paul puts limits on the father's authority and he says actually for you the goal is to wield your influence in a way that it can be received. And so we know that with our children's lives that we have to enter in that influence and instruction in a way that, is, that they can be receptive to it. That means, that means it's, it's a very rare occasion when we would walk into a situation where we're in a position of authority or influence, where we're the father or we're the boss or we're in the lead and we, and we simply say, I'm in charge. Because at the end of the day, we are producing wisdom through nurture, not ruling. We're raising up rather than pressing down. So let me just bring that to some application in this instruction. Children, you're going to probably want to tune in because you're going to need this. Need this help for you. You're going to want to hear this. Listen, parents, when your children are angry under your care, the first thing you should do is to consider whether you are the source of the anger. See, the Apostle Paul's pushing back in the other direction. He's saying to a group of people that weren't accustomed to thinking that they should attune themselves to the receptivity of their children. And he's saying, listen, parents, the first thing you look for if your children are angry is how are you delivering your parenting? There's a requirement here. If it's possible for our training and instruction to be delivered in a way that doesn't provoke them to frustration, we're to find that way. We're to work to do that. That means that we ha we're required to consider a broad sense of options in how we parent our children. Now that doesn't mean that every time our children is angry, they're necessarily in the right and we have to entirely adjust our parenting. But we, it would go a long way in the way in which our influence would be received if our, our children become confident that we care about how it's being received. That we're attuned to them. That we understand. You know, there's a, parenting can be hard and, and the more children you throw into a situation, the more that it is like standing back and, and hurting cats. Which means that we don't always execute our training and instruction in a way that really understands what's happening. It's exasperating to a child to not be heard. It's exasperating to put expectations on our child that are not appropriate to their age and ability. It can be exasperating to a child when we quickly move on to discipline the whole group of children when maybe they weren't involved in the problem. It can be exasperating to a child when we don't stop and listen and understand their problem but quickly give them solutions. We have a responsibility not to stir up anger. So... Parents, when your children are angry, under your care, the first thing you should do is consider whether you might be the source of that anger. Well, in order to fulfill this role with honor, we're told then to use discipline and instruction. Here, I would say other words that capture the language are really to use training and to teaching. When we hear the word discipline, we almost always think about correction and punishment. The word here that is translated discipline in your Bibles really is the word training. It actually has in mind the whole education of your child. 
And so, fathers, I just want you to hear me saying that it's important that you tend to the entire training of your children, that it is your responsibility. It doesn't chiefly belong to someone else. You can find lots of ways to get schooling done, but we're not just talking about schooling. We're talking about the training in life, in wisdom, in education, that you would, you're the first person, the line of training and teaching that exists in the life of your children. That means the curriculum for your children's gaining of life and wisdom is your responsibility. This is what's really wrapped up in that word training. Of course, there's an expectation that we would discipline appropriately when, we're, when they're wrong. That we would correct. That we would bring consequences when there's problems. But listen, that's not to be the lion's share of our parenting. When it says here that we're to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, there's a greater weight on the positive investment that we have of teaching and training our children to value what's good and right. And so if we're free-range parenting and only swooping in when there's a problem, we're not fulfilling the responsibility here of training and instruction in the Lord. So there's this responsibility of training and, and instruction. And as we consider these things... As we consider these things, I want you to notice the chief subject of our training. The training and teaching that ultimately matters is the training and teaching that grounds them in the truth of God's word. You know, here it shows us how we should set our priorities for what we concern ourselves with in the life of our children. We say this often, but the church is not the primary place in which your children are going to be instructed in the Lord. We exist in our children's ministries here, in our teaching, in our discipleship to help equip you to be able to be the theologians in your household, the pastors in your household, the caretakers of spiritual growth in your household because first and foremost the Lord has instructed you. To play this role of leadership in the life of your children. We're to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's an honored stewardship from God. That we would be appointed as the means through which our children will see and experience him. Listen, you can play a powerful role. You're going to make a decision if you have parents, if you're parents or you're a future parent and looking to that time, you have the opportunity to play a powerful role in shaping the faith of your children. There are a billion things we could teach our children. I mean, the amount of things that we're told we have to attend to, concern ourselves with, is dizzying. But here, we're relieved of the fullness of that burden to remember that few other people in their life will concern themselves with the spiritual nurture and plea about them knowing Christ. If you're going to honor the sacred calling in your heart on delivering the truth of God's word to your children with a sense of committed devotion and at whatever cost it may have on the other pursuits of your life that they would walk away and know that the one thing they wanted was for me to walk with the Lord. As we come to the Lord's table today, we're reminded of this. Because the truth is, as fathers, we so often realize that in the honorable task of living as fathers, we fall incredibly short. We could say painfully 
short. You may be troubled by certain decisions you've made as a parent, certain things that you've said. You feel like you've fallen short in those relationships. And as we think about these things, you've even felt uh, maybe a bit of pain and fear, concern. And even here in our midst, maybe you're not a father, you're a child. And as we've been thinking through this, you can think of all the ways that you've marred a relationship with your parents. Things you regret, decisions you've made. You feel a sense of of distance or brokenness in that family. I acknowledge the fact that even on a day like today of Father's Day, there's those who have lost fathers in the past year. There are those who are estranged from their kids. Those who have complicated relationships. And we wonder, is there any hope in those family relationships? We feel a sense of responsibility, maybe for a moment as we pause before God's word. Maybe you've always thought of it as their fault, but something that was said today, you realize that you played a part. I don't think we need to flee from that for a moment to embrace it to recognize that the reason we gather around this table today is because in all of our brokenness God our heavenly father has invited us to come near around his table and for some of you The hope for your family relationships isn't found in necessarily just focusing on your family relationships, but realizing that in the midst of this family, God the Father has invited us around his table. Let's be reminded today that we have a father. We have a father who runs out to meet us when we finally decide to come home. And Jesus Jesus gives us this image in the parable of the prodigal son of a father who is waiting and looking off in a distance. Today you can be reconciled to God. You can walk in communion with him. You can have hope and forgiveness for the past mistakes, the failures and shortcomings. And you can trust God's future and promised redemption because you have a father who set his eyes on the horizon and welcomed you home when you return and that father has a son that doesn't remain home in bitterness like the one in the story but Jesus is the contrast to the older son in the in the prodigal son but he went out at great cost to himself to find us when we had left the family of God to pursue our own desires. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us a family that we could belong to. A family that we could experience redemption in. A family that we can experience hope in. And it's in gathering around the table with that family that we are nourished by the redeeming work of God that can nourish all of our other relationships. And the Lord Jesus Christ has gone out from the Father, he says, to seek and save the lost. And he willingly gave the last breath of his life to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And because of his death on the cross, the Father offers that forgiveness to us. If we'll simply wake up from our foolishness and return home. This is the family that God has established. 
a place where there's hope beyond brokenness. There's no more powerful image in Scripture than that old man running out to his son who had dishonored him, spent his father's wealth, says on riotous living, prepared a speech to come home to be just a servant, and his dad runs out and cuts off the speech. <laughs> just forget about all that. Welcome home. This is the family of hope that we belong to in Christ. If you'll turn from your sin and trust what Jesus did on the cross, that it was your welcome home from the Father. He desires to bring you around the table. The reason the symbol of our celebration of what Christ accomplished is so powerful because it's the Father saying to us, no matter how much you've dishonored me, no matter how many times you've broken my instructions and disobeyed and failed to welcome my 